0: Alright guys, welcome back to Pula's Pod, hosted by me, LV Pula. Uh, It's been a while since my last podcast, but I'm happy to be back now and talking about some Philly sports. Um, It's been a while, like I just said, but I'm going to get right into it, and we're going to discuss a couple of things. So, first off, we're going to talk about the Eagles, and then we're going to look at the Phillies in their current season, and the Sixers in their current season. So, obviously, like I just said, we'll start off with the Philadelphia Eagles um, it was announced on Sunday that Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles, has COVID-19, um, but he's asymptomatic. So the good thing about, well, it's not good that he has COVID, obviously, but he's still able to coach the Eagles virtually, so that's a good thing. But on Monday, August 3rd, the Eagles began actual like physical activity in some on-field walkthroughs at the Novacare Complex. It was Darius Slay and... Javon Hargrave like their first time at the complex since being um, acquired by the Eagles and being signed Um, since I haven't yet posted this here's a look at the Eagles training camp schedule so I'm going to give you a description through it but I just want to hit on um, Darius Slay it'll be his first time like I just said but that's going to be a big addition to the Eagles secondary Hargrave is going to be big inside for the Eagles with Fletcher Cox and then Malik Jackson as a depth guy Um, now I'm going to describe the training camp schedule so between August 3rd and the 11th Players begin eight days of strength and conditioning work. Um, So obviously with Doug Peterson having tested positive, like I just said, he will not be running walkthroughs for now. That responsibility will go to assistant coach Deuce Daly in the interim head coaching position, who's actually an Eagles running back for a long time, who's their current running back's coach. Um, One big point um, to note on is the opt-out date for NFL players is Thursday, August 6th at 4 p.m., so I think eight or nine New England Patriots have already opted out while Marquise Goodwin of the Eagles opted out due to some family concerns because I guess his wife and his kids have very um, like sensitive immune systems or something like that. Um, I mean, I'm fully supportive of that. Like, I think it's, if you have to make a decision, now is like the time where I think people respect it the most because there's a legitimate concern compared to other years where like I, it's just not a good decision. But this year, it's completely acceptable. And Carson Wentz came out and said that about his new receiver, saying that he completely like acknowledges the fact that he's opting out due to personal reasons. Um, so, like I just said, August third through eleventh, um, strength and conditioning work for the players; they get acclimated, um, and then the opt-out date, again. It's so stressful. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. came out and said yesterday that he he wouldn't be a, like he wouldn't mind not having a season. Because he just thinks the owners don't view them as humans and they think basically they control them Which I don't completely agree with but we could talk about that another day Um, Patriot safety McCourtney came out um, basically saying like It's completely unacceptable that the NFL push up the opt-out date Because players have to make a tough decision between their families and their pro careers Salary, it all depends because if you opt out your salary only becomes like $150,000 compared to What it could be a couple million. So it's a really tough decision for the players. I mean, obviously for me, I mean, as a fan, I hope all players can play to see better games if the season does happen, but you gotta look at it from the player's point of view thinking like you don't want them to get sick and then bring it to their family and pass it and keep passing it on. So whatever decision the players make, I'm totally okay with. So after the 11th through the 12th and the 16th of August, um, the conditioning period period will be followed by four days worth of unpadded practices, so that'll be nice to see that the Eagles are finally like starting to ramp up stuff compared to you know just walkthroughs and um, strength and conditioning work. So then, starting August seventeenth, and then you don't know the actual day where this will end. Um, teams can practice in pads for the first for for the first time. They will be allowed fourteen padded practices in total. So it depends how many off days they're going to get thrown in there, but this is the portion of training camp that we all know and love. Hopefully, um, hopefully, like you know, people are still able to spectate and like Eagles beat will be able to be there and tweet out the results from the practice because that's fun to look forward to and see. Um, but those fourteen padded practices, hopefully, like everyone stays safe and they don't rush them because you don't want anyone getting sick. I mean. Hopefully Doug Peterson wasn't in contact with anyone there at the Eagles training facility because you're hoping that didn't pass. Um, they said he was with Press Taylor, the QB coach, and he's like also part of the offensive coordinator along with Doug Peterson. Um, they said he was in contact with him, but he tested negative a couple of times, so they think he's okay. But um, Yeah, so they have 14 padded practices in total, and hopefully that'll be it, and they can basically start the season after that. Um, september 5th is the final cutdowns so the roster should go from 80 to i think 60 give or take i'm not completely sure on that number um but obviously like you get 53 guys on game day and i think six or seven guys are inactive so basically the eagles right now they just started um training camp like i just mentioned doug peterson has COVID, but is asymptomatic and is doing very well thank you god um and basically, I mean, you're just getting ready for the season. Not not a ton of work yet. Um, once August 12th comes, they'll be doing some more, um, like, starting to ramp it up compared to just now. August 17th, like I said, padded practices. So hopefully, I mean, they could do well. And then once the season comes, we'll get more in-depth into analyzing the Eagles and their roster. So the Eagles concluded. Now we're going to talk about the Phillies and what happened with them over the past week or so since opening day. So the Phillies' opening series went well, as we all thought, a series loss, picking up where they left off against the dreadful Miami ball club. Um, last year, they stunk against Miami, and it's been the same this year. I mean, they only played three games against them, but they lost a rubber match last Sunday, and it all went downhill from there. So once that concluded, it was announced that a couple of Marlins players tested positive for COVID-19. Um, Throughout the week, that number continued to climb and eventually maxed out at 20 cases, 20 positive cases between coaches and players. Now, a couple of players on the Phillies voiced their opinions. Now, Reese Hoskins was asked about it and basically said um, it was unfortunate that it happened. We're just ready to get back on the field. While another opinion of Andrew McCutcheon, he was kind of frustrated because they were doing everything right. And the Marlins still played with COVID cases, putting their week of baseball in jeopardy, their whole season in jeopardy. So, I'd probably fall into McCutcheon's shoes thinking, like, now I completely, I'm okay with Reese Hoskins' opinion saying, like, he just wants to focus on the rest of the season. But, like, they cost them a week, and they could have gotten affected. So, I mean, I just think that was a really dumb decision of the Marlins. Um, I mean, with that being said, the Phillies players, like I just said, were following protocol because it was reported that some players knew on the Marlins that they had it and still decided to play because on Sunday, it came out on Monday that most of the player, well, a couple of the players in the Miami Marlins knew that a couple of them had COVID and they still wanted to get one more game in. So I just think that's really, really dumb. And I completely disagree with that. Um, I mean, simply, this is just wrong, like I just mentioned. Uh, and if baseball wants to kin- continue, this stuff can't happen. I mean, Miami should be punished for sure. I mean, I just don't think the MLB can let this slide. And now with the outbreak in uh, the St. Louis Cardinals clubhouse, they have 13 positive cases now and they just canceled a four game series against the Detroit Tigers. So now it's starting to spread. And another rumor out there was when the postseason comes, they take all those teams and go to a bubble somewhere, which I think would be a great idea considering the NBA is cautiously optimistic how their season's going with no positive COVID tests in the last probably two weeks or so, maybe even more which is just phenomenal. Um, now I'm going to get talking back about the Phillies and their re- the resumption. So last night they played the New York Yankees losing 6-3. to three. Um, They started Jake Arietta, who gave up three runs. Well, considering it was against the Yankees lineup, I think giving up three runs through six innings isn't bad. Um, but the Phillies' bullpen, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Um, they gave up a three-home run home run to Gio Urshela, Um, the Yankees have a lot of young talent too, and they had their ace Garrett Cole come in and pitch, who only can have one run throughout six innings. Um, they have a doubleheader tomorrow against the Yankees because the game got postponed tonight due to torrential downpours. Um, they got Aaron Nola going game one and Zach Wheeler going game two, so hopefully the best thing that could happen is they win both games, but I'm just hoping for a split because I don't think they can win both games. Um... Hopefully the hitters like D.D., J.T., and Bryce Harper find their stride again because they were off a week or so. But um, throughout the first four games of the season, the clutch hitting has been terrible. I think with runners on like second and third base, they're like 4-for-19 or some really bad stat that they just have to improve on if they want to win games. I mean, they have a really tough schedule. Like I've said it, um, they're playing the AL East and the NL East. So, I mean... You got a couple games against the Yankees, the Rays, even the Red Sox who have good hitting. Pitching isn't as well. But, I mean, and then in the East, obviously, the Braves, the Nationals, the Mets, and the Marlins. So none of those games, well, all of those series are winnable, but they're all losable too because you could get swept by Miami with how they play against them, and then you could go and sweep the Braves. So they're just very inconsistent, have to find their stride and basically continue to succeed in this shortened season. So now I'm going to get to their bullpen. Um, now, Matt Klintak, um, the Phillies GM, basically said, I'm going to go with a younger bullpen, and I don't want to have an older bullpen like last year when they had veterans in there. So they signed a couple young guys throughout the system, and they signed like, guys brought up through the system and guys that were waived, and they brought in. I just think their bullpen is too young. There's a difference between having a young bullpen and a young and promising bullpen. The Phillies bullpen is just young. Now, another couple other bullpens, maybe like I know the Yankees have a good bullpen. I'm not sure how if they have a young bullpen or veterans, but the Phillies are just young and they don't have prom. They don't have promising talent in there. So, in my eyes, to grow and succeed this season, I just don't see it happening because it's such a rush season where I don't think guys are going to get enough confidence playing only. I mean, they played four games already, so you only have 56 games left, and who knows if they're going to make the playoffs, which I doubt will happen. So in a meaningful season like this one, in a shortened season of 60 games, I think it was a bad call for Matt Klintak to go with these young guys compared to having older guys last year in the bullpen. I mean, last year's bullpen wasn't horrible because they had guys that could get outs, but... The only experienced guys in their bullpen are David Robertson, who's out since the beginning of last year, who's going to miss this year. And Pat Neshek is gone, who was, I thought, a good pitcher. Ranger Suarez, who still isn't with the Phillies because I think he had COVID or was exposed to it. And I'm not really sure about that whole situation. I'll have to look into it. And Sir Anthony Dominguez, who had Tommy John surgery last year, I think, and just got it like two days ago again. So that's a, that's all screwed up. So all those guys are out right now who were all big contributors to the bullpen last year besides Robertson and Dominguez. So the main four guys right now in the bullpen are Hector Nares, who's the closer. So obviously he'll only pitch in the ninth inning normally. Jose Alvarez, who normally gets you an inning or two. Adam Morgan, another lefty with Alvarez. And Tommy Hunter. So I'm confident in all those guys in getting outs. But the problem is the other six spots because you can't just have these guys throw every day So the other six spots are what concerns me in the Phillies. And pretty much, like, the Phillies need more help just getting strikes and getting outs compared to, you know, like, yesterday, bullpen comes in and gives up a three-run home run to Gio Urshela, like I mentioned earlier. That can't happen. He walked a guy and then hit another guy. So you can't get two guys in a row on base from walks. It just can't happen. So I think if they could just stay in the strike zone, they might be a little bit better. You can't leave anything down the middle, obviously, but they just got to use their stuff and hopefully get out and get guys like Nola and Wheeler some wins. So that basically concludes um, the Phillies and what they're doing. I'm hoping Bryce Harper and guys like him start to figure it out. Adam Haseley, he had a good game yesterday, JT Romuto. Jay Bruce had a home run yesterday. Um, So I'm hoping they could start to figure it out and get some wins. Um, Now we're going to move on to the Sixers. So as you all know, um, the NBA bubble is up and running. Um, They started scrimmages about a week ago and finally started regular season games. I mean, seeding games is what they're calling them. They started seeding games on last Thursday. Um, The Sixers made a starting lineup change in signing Ben Simmons to the power forward spot and having Shake Millen start at the one. Initially, I thought this move was pretty interesting. I mean, Ben Simmons kind of played point guard throughout the whole season. I mean, they didn't really, like, change him really often. I mean, he averaged the most rebounds per game, assists, and steals for the Sixers, I think. Um, So that's pretty impressive as a point guard, even though he's that tall. But throughout the scrimmages, it looked like a very good move and has potential to be. Um... I thought initially when they got to Orlando, when Brett Brown came out and said that this was a possibility, I thought it was a really good idea considering a different look. And then guys like Al Horford off the bench, who's ve- I, I think is a very good bench piece for them. I don't think he should start, but he should be in the crunch time minutes maybe. So it's a tough call for Brett Brown. Um, when it really mattered in game one though of the restart, the seeding games against the Pacers, I mean, everyone was able to see Shake Milton didn't play a good game. Um, there was a couple of things that I noted. I thought him and Embiid, exchanging words, wasn't a good sign to see. But um, we'll get to that later on and how they resolved that. Um, his defense was sloppy. He's never been a very good defensive player. But yesterday, it was kind of just obvious that he just... I mean, on a Saturday, it was just obvious he didn't play a good game. Um, he didn't score a single point either. I didn't. I think he took his first shot in the fourth quarter. And for Shake, um after having that 39-point game against the Clippers, he put the league on notice, technically. So, like, when teams are playing him now, he's in their scouting report because they know he could shoot, he could create for himself, and create for others. So, anymore, it's not just going to be. He's going to get, I mean, if there's a screen for him, he might get trapped or stuff like that. So, compared to um, how he was at the beginning of the season, it's a lot different now because people actually know he could score. So now I'm going to get to the result of Game 1 in the seeding games. Like I said, the Sixers lost. TJ Warren erupted for 53 points, and the Pacers outplayed the Sixers en route to a big-time win. Um, The Pacers now, I think, stand one game ahead of the Sixers for the 5 seed. Um, Embiid had a really good game, but it wasn't enough. He had 41 points and 21 rebounds. Um, I thought he played excellent. I think Tobias Harris might have had 30 points, and Ben Simmons had a 20. So overall, if they played well, it's just their defense was really, really bad. Um, I really think, so T.J. Warren was getting open all the time just because they were setting a ball screen, and they were giving him so much room to operate where he'd either pull up for um, a mid-range jumper or go right into the basket again, and one, or a floater. There was another time where he'd come off the wing, and a guy would set a screen for him, and he'd curl around to the free throw line, basically get a pass and just maneuver from there to the basket or jump shot. So there were a lot of problems um, with the Sixers' defense that game, um, and then Warren had a really crazy three pointer. Just put the Sixers' hopes like out of time. I mean, he had to be four feet behind the three point line and just drained it in Ben Simmons' eye. So after that, I knew it was over, and I was uh, quite simply put pretty mad at how they played. Um, so after game one, their next game was last night, Monday night, against San Antonio. So after Saturday night, Sixers Twitter was going crazy after game on loss. I mean, everyone was expecting a big win from the Sixers, con- considering how good they played in the scrimmages with their starting lineup and bench players. Um, shout out to Alec Burks, though. He's been playing really good for the Sixers, so I just wanted to get that out there. But uh, the Sixers took it down to the end and with six seconds left last night, Shake Melton hit a clutch three to see the Sixers win. Now, I'm so happy for Shake that that happened to him because at this time last year, Shake barely played. And now for him to take that shot with six seconds left and have the confidence to actually shoot it and make it, that's a big step. Because they were down two, so they needed at least two points to tie, but he took a three and basically sealed the Sixers' win. Um, I really think that game was way more close than it should have been. Um, I honestly only saw the last couple minutes of the game Um, I really think that just after reading a couple articles and seeing some statistics that the Sixers definitely should have won by more points than two points, 132 to 130. Um, I just don't think they come – they don't come to play every night. It's They just – they don't have the heart that San Antonio does or that Indiana has. So if they come to play, they really could be a good team. And they could figure out their defense – because the offensive end of the ball isn't the problem. They're able to score at, mar- at will. But I just think on defense is where they have to fix it. So everyone expected a pretty a big win from the Sixers that, last night. So they narrowly escaped. Almost, give, almost gave me a heart attack when I watched the end there. Um, and I'm hoping there's not many close games like that or else I, I don't know what's going to happen with me. Those playoff games. So, after a big win, like I just mentioned, they sit at 1 1 with a game tomorrow night against the Washington Wizards. Um, Embiid, after the game on a video conference, had some words to say after a horrible fourth quarter. Basically put, he said, and I quote, We've got to do a better job defensively to be the best defensive team in the league. Embiid also said, So, we've just got to take the challenge the last two games. We haven't been able to keep our man in front of us. You have just got to do a better job, and in those situations, I've just got to do a better job of protecting the paint and making sure I correct some mistakes. So, Embiid basically saying um, the team's just got to be a better defensive team, simply put. they got to be better off ball screens, rebounding, and everything, uh, on ball pressure. I don't think Embiid is the problem as much because inside, he's been forced. Just outside, he's not as laterally quick as other players are, so he can get beat off the dribble, but he can recover since he has such long arms to block their shot. So I think if they if Embiid can do a little bit better on the like three-point line and out there, they can do better because teams try and switch him out there, like on ball screens, so they can isolate him. But inside, he's been phenomenal. Um, now Brett Brown, the head coach, he also said some stuff about the Sixers' defense. Um, he actually had some harsh words, which I think are completely necessary. And I quote, I think it stinks. I think it's not anything that we are or believe in our." Or talk about we were very lucky to win tonight. The good news is it will within our reach immediately de- flip, flip the switch. So I think Brett Brown saying he's got to turn around their defense really fast, or else they're heading down the wrong road. So I just hope that their defense gets fixed for Wednesday night against the Washington Wizards, which I think they should win considering Bradley Beal isn't playing and all they have is to- Thomas Bryant and um, Brown Jr. I think is his name Troy Brown Jr. So hopefully they can get that win. And basically, I just got hope they move up to the 5 seed and maybe play Miami because I'd rather play Miami than Boston. Um, I don't think Miami has great experience besides Jimmy Butler, who knowing the Sixers, Jimmy Butler would have like 40 every night and they'd sweep them. But whatever happens, happens for them. They just got to try and win games and get some momentum going into the playoffs and get some chemistry with one another. I think the bubble helped them all come together and realize like, we're a good team, and we just got to get closer and better on the defensive end until we can prove and show our potential to the other teams throughout the league. I mean, guys have, been sh- guys have showed flashes of that. Embiid's shown flashes of that. Tobias Harris, Al Horford played some good D the other day. I mean, Ben Simmons, obviously a really good defensive player. So if Josh Richardson, who's very underrated too, he can play defense. Shake Nolan's got to get better. So they have guys that could come in and work and get some points and play defense. But it's just about consistency and when they can do it. So that wraps up episode 10. Um, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. and so I'm just happy to be back now and um, discussing this. So episode 10, we talked about the Eagles, the Phillies, and the Sixers. Right now, my main focus is the Sixers because I just want them to win so bad. I'm going to be watching the Phillies.